Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to my good, bad brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. It's Jared Sleeper. This is My Good Bad Brain. I'm just kind of rushing through this little intro thing because I want to basically put this pod out pretty soon, like today. Because basically, I just messed up, okay? I was <laughs> I, I didn't realize I had to hit the go live. I thought when it was scheduled to go live, it went live, whatever. So the first half hour of this, some of you guys were sensational. You were just like hanging out in the room waiting, uh, which is wonderful. But anyway, so now you can hear the first half of the conversation that I had with Nick this morning. And then the second half, which you were there for, um, or, you know, for all, those of you who listen, who don't listen to the live stream, then you'll just get the whole, it doesn't matter. And this is all means nothing to you. But today was an interesting day. Uh, we talked about well, I talked a little bit about like this personal experience I was having where I kind of like ran out of pills in this weird coronavirus thing and how that was an experience. I think I'm going to do a little brain breather about it because I think it's a valuable thing just to expand upon a little bit. You know, I'll talk about it here and try not, I'm not going to worry about repeating myself. It's just a thing I do. We have to repeat ourselves over and over again sometimes just to learn anything. And then, um, and then some people ask some questions about, I kind of devolved, I feel like the theme of the whole thing sort of gelled into being about substances that you take for your brain trying to fix your brain when and then like when you know should you maybe consider seeing a psychiatrist uh and that sort of thing so that was a nice uh i don't know i'm just gonna shut up because i think we do a good amount of you know talking and the thing but thank you for being here uh two episodes are dropping today one from last week and this now i'm just gonna get better at the schedule um if you want to support the pod check out mygoodbadbrain.com. You can buy gear and stuff there, uh, like clothes and things like that. You can also uh, go to patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain and, and, you know, just throw some some cash over there if you feel like it. You can also just throw cash at me on Venmo if you want to. I feel more comfortable saying that now because I've been doing these quarantine calisthenics and I'm just like, hey, some people started tipping me. If you want to tip me, feel free. And you can just do that. It's just my name, Jarrett-Sleeper on Venmo. But uh, thank you guys so much for being here, being part of the pod. I hope we see you Saturday mornings in the chat room. If you want to ask any questions or bring up any topics that you'd like Dr. Nick to uh, respond about, and, you know, and me too, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, just email at uh, mygoodbadbrain at gmail.com. All right. Thank you 
guys so much. Uh, on with the on with the show. See you guys next week, 10 a.m. Pacific. We're on YouTube now, youtube.com slash jsleeper. That's what we do, we do it there on my old YouTube channel. All right, bye, 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 bye. Without further ado, here we are. Hi, we're here. We're live. Um, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's here, but I'm doing, I'm being worst about the, it doesn't really matter. We're just, because we're recording this. I felt bad because I was just like trying to put together last week's to put up this morning. And I was like, maybe that'll just be the rhythm is that I just, we just put it up the day of the new one, which isn't that crazy. Whatever. And then I was like, like week stagger time. Yeah, that could be fine. But then, um, and at the end of the pod, I was like, I promise I'll get this one up sooner than the last one. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. I think, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier, just, I feel as if the pace of work is kind of picking back up again. Yeah. Um, just dealing with some weird student stuff and, you know, getting ready for what, what, teaching what? a group psychotherapy class. It's going to be all online this summer, dude. I don't know how the fuck that's going to work. But A groups? What does that mean? Like you're teaching how to do group psychotherapy or? Yeah, exactly. And so like typically what you would do is actually like model the group dynamic in class. Like you would have a group, you know, as part of the class. Yeah. But you know, it's going to be all online. Although they're going to have to learn how to do that because I think the field is moving in that direction. You know, it's like more and more online therapy. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, right now. I, I don't know. There just seems to be something in the air that's like, I don't know. I, I, I was listening to this one thing. People were like, you know, uh, people don't realize that a crisis could be so boring that it doesn't seem like, maybe a huge deal to people because it just is so low key, but that like, yeah. we really don't know how we don't acknowledge how much the unfolding yeah. of all this is going to change things. And, right. um, and that it really does feel like it tears out society even more into this like caste system thing where it's like, there are the people who can work from home or study from home or do those things like those. And yeah. those people are all like, Oh, it's just fine. Right. They're like, Nancy Pelosi with ice cream, you know, we're like, what the fuck? And then there's all the people who are the like essential workers who like have to keep doing this stuff. And then there's the people who are like kind of middle zone who like lost their job, but didn't have those quote unquote essential worker jobs who are all the like delivery drivers who are basically working delivery jobs to receive their own deliveries, you know, like, you know, Uber driving so that they can get, or or like Grubhub driving so that they can order their Grubhub. You know what I mean? And how strange that is and how like, this is basically going to result in this massive consolidation of like business under like, it's all going to be Amazon. It's all going to be, you know, and like yeah. the, the bank money that, that like apparently banks are allowed to garnish that money from the government. Like if, yeah. if you owe the bank money. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is just a way to just give banks money. Um, very, very yeah, strange. About 80 cents out of every dollar in the package. You know, I mean, it should be pretty clear to people who the government works for. Yeah. So I don't know. All that is to say, uh, it's just very, oh, and then, and then uh, all the people protesting this week to like open Baskin Robbins, the people being like social distancing is communism. And like, I saw, I saw, I like literally there was a, cause Huntington beach, there was some crazy protest in Huntington beach. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> one and the communism, the social distancing equals communism is just like so good. But then the other one I love was like, 
somebody in the background had a sign that said, Profits over people, MAGA 2020. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like so cartoonishly villainous and like weird that you're like, what is going on? Like, like, has the online culture of trolling, of just like anything to own the libs, truly come so full circle that it's like an ethos that it's like yeah that it's like you know there are no libs around to own you just own yourself and that's like how it's expressed (laughs) it's just like an absolute death cult and it's so strange um to be living in this time so yeah i mean i try to like you know because the like now all all like media products are designed to elicit outrage because that's the most like shareable right feeling. So I try to like think to myself, okay, like how can I validate these people? And like I do get wanting to I, I get it when people want to go back to work. Like that I I totally fucking understand that. Yeah. They people want to go back to work and they their immediate frustration is that they can't work and pay bills. That that's the frustration that they contend with every day, all the time. It's right here in their brain. They may not have direct experience of COVID problems, et cetera. So I understand that. I really do. I do too. Um, But I just also, and you know, I think again, you know, media is designed to be watched. So that's what they share, but that's like such a tiny minority. It's such a tiny, tiny sliver of a sliver that it's, we really just can't allow ourselves to be hijacked by people who are that uneducated and, and, um, emotional. I mean, you can't make policy that way, you know? Yeah. That, that thing you just said about like, it's made to be outraged is like, I I forgot what the, I even forget what the headline is. It doesn't matter. My, my friend reposted some, you know, some other, just a maniacal headline. They're all maniacal headlines. Oh, I know what it was. It was like New York times put something about the wealthy are, quarantining with their staff or something like that you know and like which staff do they keep on <laughs> quarantine and this idea of being like Mar- martha stewart was in it talking you know and it, it's just so cartoonish it's so that you're just like oh everything's made to be clicked you know yeah. that's all it is it's like yeah. nothing is fucking real anymore <laughs> and that is so weird to just know that like nothing's real that everything is this strange outrage factory like attention is is dollars it's it's uh surreal i don't know and then and then and then all that against the backdrop of like i don't know people trying to like reclaim their humanity in very tactile ways this like this like sourdough bread thing uh that i was talking a little bit before that i i was like I decided to make a sourdough bread because uh, I had to because, you know, everyone's doing that. And my friend is starter and, and Allie did an episode this week with this guy who's a sourdough bread expert. And one thing that he raises in it that I thought was actually kind of interesting and I was I was really into this interpretation was like how, you know, sourdough bread is like very profound, actually, when you because before 100 years ago, all bread was sourdough. Like there was no Fleischmann's yeast. If only we could go back. It's so good. <laughs> but that like you know, like that's where, that's where bread comes from is like this wild yeast just exists. And that like thousands of years ago when they first discover bread that like, it's very profound. You take these two things that you cannot live on by yourself, like flour, you know, this grass seed that's ground up and, uh, water, which 
both of them by themselves, you will die. Like the, there'll be like this weird paste and this, it's not enough to sustain you. But if you let them sit together and they gather this natural yeast that's already on the grass seed and it grows and then you, it turns into this other thing that has like protein and B vitamins and all this stuff that you can like live off of. And, uh, that's very profound. And that there's something about that that's very, kind of explains why the smell of baking bread feels like so homey to everyone. Everyone's like loves that smell that there's some almost like epigenetic sort of memory about like this thing and how weird it is that, you know, to consider that like maybe in a big crisis, the reason everybody goes like the making sourdough bread is like, we still know how to do this, right? Like if everything else just collapses, we can still survive. We could still gather these things and make this thing. And I was like, I really like that. I kind of, you know, you want to get into your hands and, Basically, that is to say the thought process was like from this incredible non-reality to something just so immediate and real and ancient feeling, you know, that you yeah, can totally cue into. Anyway, um, I'll bring up some of these questions, I guess. Let's just get into talking sure. about some healthy stuff. Um, yeah. All right. The first one we'll talk about, because I had a weird experience this week, too, and I think this is a nice one that'll be related, is uh, we were doing, I did for Quarantine Calisthenics the other day. We did this meditation, we did like a Qigong meditation. And mm-hmm. someone said, you know, wrote about after that meditation during QC was awesome today. Uh, it did bring up a couple topics. I would be in touch on at some point in the future. Microdosing, EMDR, guided trips for therapeutic purposes. You know, what it is, what people get out of it, how it works, studies related to the benefits of, you know, the nuts and bolts of them. Um, Michael Pollan, she references Michael Pollan, heavy mm-hmm. or, uh, actually, I don't know, he or she, but... Uh, I read that Michael Pollan book or most of it, the first halves of it or my, I, I found most, I like Michael Pollan a lot and his omnivores dilemma yeah. affected me a lot. Yeah, I love that book. That's the only book of his I've read, but I love that book. Yeah. That book really impacted me profoundly, but um, yeah. at least to this, this new mushroom one changing your mind is, uh, or psychedelics, I guess in general, I um, was more grasped by his historical, like his investigations prior to his personal experiences with it. Yeah. Um, I'll say that like, Part of the reason I'm interested in this too is I had some tincture, this like mushroom tincture that I've been taking and I felt, which I guess is technically microdose stuff. I got it through a family friend and um, I felt like it was really fucking helping me like crazy, like, like all of a sudden just, you know, and it, it I don't know, it was weird because it corresponded with the whole quarantine thing seemed to really help. Uh, I've been feeling weird also because last week I just this quarantine, I I ran out of uh, medication on my, I, I went like a week not taking my antidepressant and it, it fucking hit me hard. It was like the day after our last one, last Monday and Tuesday, especially it was so strange to feel uh, like a physical force, like a, like a blanket settling over me. I, I'm, I'm familiar enough with my depression at this point. But um, that doesn't change like that. I can, I can intellectualize it and I can say like, oh, damn, this is I'm having a, a brain experience right now. It's not necessarily my spirit, yeah. my real self. Yeah. But also it's like telling somebody who's drunk to be like, oh, you're just drunk right now. You know, you know, it doesn't change. Yeah, you're, the, you're still having the experience. Yeah. And how weird that is that you can that it helps to contextualize. It helps to like keep a grasp on reality, not spiral too, 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 too far. But you're still going through it. So anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, there is, there's, there lately has been emerging evidence that people really do go through withdrawals, withdrawal symptoms when they get off of long-term antidepressant use because they were never studied. I mean, they're effective for people. I have people in my family have been taking them for decades, you know, but effectively, but uh, they were not studied in their tri- their original clinical trials to be used for that long period of time. I mean, nobody's done a 30 year antidepressant trial ever. So yeah. Well, what, what counts as long-term in that sense? Cause I mean, I've only been taking this Prozac for like less than a year, but yeah. So it, it just depends. I mean, there's cases that I'm referencing, which again, haven't been, you know, there hasn't been like a large robust investigation of this, these phenomenon, but, um, I'm talking about many years. Yeah. Many, many years. Although certainly, you know, if you've been taking it uh, regularly and you stop taking it, you'll feel that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess, I mean, that makes sense. And I mean, my psychiatrist told me before that like Prozac in particular, I guess stays in your system longer. Like it stays like a couple weeks usually. Yeah. So she's like, if you miss a little bit, it's not usually that bad, but I did go like a week without it, you know, cause I just was quarantining and I didn't feel like leaving the house to do the thing. Yeah, I don't know what the half-life of, uh, I can't remember the, the, what the what's the Prozac generic? Starts with an F. Fluoxetine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would imagine that, I, I doubt the half-life exceeds seven days, you know? Yeah, it must, I mean, it was very surreal. It was very, ah, it just sucked, dude. It was just intense. Yeah. I hadn't had like a fucking thing like that in a while. And it was weird to be experiencing it and kind of going like, I say it to Ali. I was like, Jesus, this fucking is horrible. I was just like laying on the floor and uh, I was like, D- D- was I just like this all the time before starting this? And I was like, I think I was like, I used to drink so much more and do all this, you know, I think like self-medicating type things, which obviously drinking like makes it worse in the long run, but it'll stave it off. If you do it every day, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it'll help uh, fucking mitigate that shit and cause a lot of other problems. But, um, yeah, it was just so strange to be like, damn, this is really like I was constantly trying to escape this feeling of this just like the fatigue and the like every thought process ends in negative things. It's like just so fucking terrible. It was very weird, yeah. man. Um, but I was and I was saying too, like, it's troubling to think. I was I was like uh walking the dog then with Allie and I was like, Ugh, is this just my whole life? Do I just have to take fucking Prozac my whole fucking life. Is that like how this is going to be? Which is like a tough thought for me. Like anything that has no end in sight or it's just, you know, turns into like the concept of eternity and I just can't process it. Uh, and she was like, well, you know, if you had diabetes and you had to take insulin every day, that, that would be that. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that could, that's like a nicer way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I do think the other way is that um, there you know, there may be times when it's appropriate to try cycling off under supervision. Um, probably the time to do that is when like everything else is going really well and, right. you know, things are feeling very stable and you have like supportive people around that might be a time to try if it's important to you. Um, you know, like, yeah, I mean, the other, I mean, it's um, now I'm experiencing too, like um, ran out of Adderall uh and Adderall like I I feel like it's weird I feel like the the medications I take are the most like like even when she switched me to Prozac I was like oh god I don't know if I want to switch to fucker after like two years of doing this other one I was like 
mirtazapine, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's a different, but Prozac and the same thing like Adderall. There's just these like, they're like the most buzzwordy feeling like drugs. I'm taking drugs every day, you know? Yeah. And, um, man, but the Adderall stuff, cause I do feel like I got pretty bad ADHD now. And, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't, I have like maybe a little bit, uh, left. I'm like rationing for like work days, you know? And, uh, I don't know. Cause you can't, refill that over the phone. I think there's some extenuating circumstances now. My psychiatrist is like, says she's working it out like that. You, you're able, but I can't, I can't get refills on it and they need to refill it for you in person. And we can't do an in-person thing while we're doing this, you know, isolating anyway, it's That's just weird. Problem. What? That's a real problem. Oh, it's a real problem. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I'm nervous because I'm, I'm trying to mitigate it with other things that I know help me. Um, trying not to overdo like my caffeine intake to counteract it and stuff like that, which I think is an instinct is to seek out other, uh, stimulants, um, because they don't do the same thing and it just hurts my stomach and it fucking makes my heart race. Uh, it's weird because I'm freaked out because, um, and this might be part of my weird fatigue also is, uh, you know, we were talking before this, I've been doing the quarantine calisthenics every day. And I was like, maybe that's just settling and I'm getting too tired, but like, the uh, emotional implications of ADHD stuff aren't usually uh, something people, people are aware of or are taught about, you know, like um, you just think of it as like this weird focus issue and you're just like a 12 year old kid running around bouncing off the walls or something like that. But you know, rejection, sensitivity, uh, dysphoria and, and emotional, what do they call it? Uh, emotional, internal hyper arousal, stuff like that. There's all these things that are like kind of creeping back in. Uh, I'm realizing and it sucks. It just sucks so bad. Cause you know, a lot of, like there's something like they say, like uh, people with ADHD, adult ADHD see like 2.6 or something different psychiatrists are, are misdiagnosed as depressed before someone's like, let's try. I think maybe you have ADHD because some of the symptoms are so similar anyway. So it's very weird. It's just very weird to be like, not yeah, kind of going cold turkey, you know, kind of like uh, you just run out. And this is, and again, I don't like the idea of being reliant on a substance that only exists within like pharmaceutically providing civilization. Well, and I, yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I would introduce like another way of thinking about it, which is it's okay. yeah, it's, it's one way to think about it for sure is the sense of being reliant. Another way to think about it. And that's not invalid, you know, like I totally get that way of looking at it. I think another way of looking at it is that it's something you introduce to get an effect that you like, that the effect, you like the effect that you get and it works for you in a lot of ways. Right. Um, And then if you don't have it, you don't get that effect. And as a result, you have to do a bunch of other stuff to achieve a similar result uh, in terms of its effectiveness. Right. Yeah. And other stuff is probably not going to work as well. And it's definitely not going to work as quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Even right now, I'm like, fuck. I'm talking like sometimes when you un un you scratch at the opening, you're like, like I'm feeling so much more emotional this week, just so much more like watery. And I feel like crying like now. You know what I mean? Like it's very weird. Um, but it's it's not, I just don't it's weird. I've been doing this fucking podcast for like two and a half years and, and, uh, a big part of it is just validation and just like removing stigma as the thought for other people. But I still feel like, fuck, I just want to like willpower this shit. I can't believe 
am I, you know, I like this, all the messages in my head are still just like, oh, you're just a fucking drug addict. You're like your dad. You're just like, that's what this is. And you know what I mean? Like I can intellectually know it's something else, but I still have that. Like, like I always think like, you know, people who love like David Goggins and all these like ex Navy seal types, you know, whatever. Cause I get it. I like to like use that fucking mind power shit too. But I really do think a lot of the times the people who are like that, I'm like, dude, I feel like they're people who truly don't have the problem. They just have like, like, yes, everybody has, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning or whatever. But like, I have this thing of like, but you, even if you were born with the innate ability to like overcome that, like to sit and be like, I like, it's still something that you have like this, this genetic thing you were born with the ability to willpower you know what I mean? That it's all an illusion that they've somehow toughed it out more than other people. Like, I just think people are are structured differently. I don't know. It always seems like we put it in the realm of physicality, like powerlifting or something like that. It's like David Goggins isn't going to pull a thousand pounds ever. And he, and no one's going to say like, David Goggins, even though you're the, you're the strongest brain man in the world, like you can't, the fact that you can't pull a thousand pounds Obviously, it's not your fault. You weren't born with those levers. You know, right. you weren't born with the ability to put on that mass. It's not you. And like nobody would then take that into a mental realm and be like, maybe though you were mentally born to pull a thousand pounds, metaphorically speaking, and other people just aren't. And you just sit there and you go like, it's so hard still just like when I feel like I rely so much on some version of my own willpower to survive at all, like yeah. some some version of it to go like, yeah, but you're still a weak bitch and that like you you're addicted to drugs and that's all you can do to fucking function at all. But I was like way more a piece of shit before I was doing my drugs. So I'm like, I'm back and forth all the time of like, I was such a drain on my loved ones and people around me. I was such a horrible drain on myself. I was just miserable all the time. I was so like erratic and crazy that like, it's weird that I'm like, I know this is a healthier thing, but I'm still very disturbed by the idea that if I don't take this fucking pill, I feel like I just feel weak. You know what I mean? And I know that's all bad messaging, but it still is just like there. Well, here. Yeah, I totally get that. And and actually, this is where I put in like my plug for mindfulness meditation. And the problem is that we have mindfulness meditation the way we do it in the West has been like completely abstracted from its like context and meaning, you know, it grew up in a system of meaning. It developed in a a system of meaning that like gave birth to these practices. And now we've abstracted the practices out and we use them for like wellness, but that's not what meditation was meant to do. I mean, that that's not what for thousands of years meditation was designed to do. That's what it's been designed to sell in the West. But what it's designed to do is fundamentally change your understanding of reality and your understanding of yourself and that's very destabilizing and scary if you do it outside of this context that it developed in. It's actually a really good New Yorker article about Bhutto dance that talks about these concepts a little bit. But there, anyone who's studied meditation, uh, what kind of dance? Bhutto. It's like this Japanese dance of self abnegation that's hmm. kind of peripherally related to some Buddhist principles. But but when it's abstracted from this system of meaning that kind of supports the dissolving ego that you get under meditation 
uh, it becomes very scary, you know, if you don't have those supports, one of which is like a community of people. But but my point is that I think, you know, I I really do believe that the well, it's not that I believe it, it's just as a result of my reading and study, I've been convinced that this system of philosophy that exists around mindfulness meditation is kind of this uh gives you an entryway into this middle ground where you know we still live in reality and it impacts us in this everyday way. And so we have to contend with it. You know, it's meaningful in that sense. But then in this other sense, when you examine it under mindfulness meditation, it kind of dissolves and becomes unreal. Like it's unreality also becomes um, like a kind of innate part of your understanding. And so that helps to, decrease the intensity of the emotions that are associated with those thoughts and experiences because they're real in one sense but in another sense they're really not and neither are we and so that kind of balance of understanding in my experience and in my reading does have the effect of like turning down the emotional intensity so this is a roundabout way of also saying that there is some good evidence to show that mindfulness meditation is effective for improving the attentional capacity and um, focus capability of people who experience ADHD. Mm. Um, but it takes, you know, it's like, it's like trying to change your physique. You know, it takes the same intensity and time as changing your physique. Just that sort of daily dedication and the practice and stuff. Yeah. Maybe you could do, maybe you want, you want to lead a meditation next, next week. Sure. I was just thinking that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Let's next Sunday. Anybody listening now, just so you know, next Sunday, we're going to do that. Cause that would be cool. Like I, especially people who haven't done it before. I try to keep it like five minutes and just observing the breath really chill, you know? Okay. But yeah. I'll, I'll do it. All right. Great. Um, Okay, well, let's try to touch on that thing about the psychedelics. What do you know about current? Yeah, so, okay, so this is a new, relatively new area of research. And the best evidence that we have so far uh, is for the effectiveness of psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, for treating end-of-life depression, uh, some types of addiction, and uh, now emerging... Uh, chronic PTSD symptoms and military veterans. Okay. So that, that's where we have the most like robust evidence, but these are still very small trials. There are like three federally funded psilocybin trials as of like last year. So it's a bit, you know, I think the total N is probably like less than a thousand people. Maybe mm. it's a thousand people. So, you know, there's some very promising evidence there, but it's, and, and, and MDMA now is also showing some, similar uh, evidence in, in particular end of life depression and um chronic ptsd so and addiction actually mdma as well um so those are kind of the conditions that have been studied most but it's still a very small overall sample hmm. it's encouraging though and we should be studying these we should be studying the potential effectiveness of these substances okay so that's one thing but these uh, and I also, you know, to kind of take off my scientist hat for a second, I think it's cool because it's kind of like tied into the shamanic history of, you know, human beings, like from the kind of earliest meaning making 
enterprises conducted by human beings. There have been people who kind of like guided us, you know, sort of uh, spiritually. And that's what some of mm-hmm. these like practitioners, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists are doing now um, with, with these substances. I just um, want to interrupt and talk about me for a second. My friend the other day uh, was said, described something about like uh, that. My, my social media presence to them is very, is, is two extremes. It's either um, very like so heady that they just like turn off two sentences in, or I'm just naked. And I was like, yes, I think I am the ape that ate the mushrooms. You know, <laughs> that's my archetype. That's yeah. just. So I know this is like the Joe Rogan philosophy. So, <laughs> I uh, know. yeah. So, um, okay. So the evidence is encouraging, particularly for things like PTSD, end of life depression, and some addiction problems. Okay. But these substances, when they are used in that context, are one, lab tested. So we know they're. Uh, potent and unadulterated with additives. Okay. Two, those trials are conducted with like many layers of supervision from institutional supervision all the way down to the therapists who are in the room. And it's usually two therapists Mm. or like kind of trading off to manage the situation. And they're highly trained, you know, they're highly trained to cope with people experiencing intense emotion. So I do not think it's a good idea for people to who are experiencing intense mental health problems to just recreationally experiment with drugs. That's a really, really bad idea. Oh my okay? God. Really quick, Nick. I'm so yeah. sorry to interrupt. I'm, I thought the scheduled thing had us live and there were people talking in the room. So I thought they were here. We have not been live during all this, which is fine. uh so i'm just gonna pause for one second while we get back into this hi everyone wow i'm such a fucking dipshit and it's fine i'm gonna post this look right after we're done i will post this live so the first half like i will go post this episode so that (sighs) y'all can catch the first half of what we talked about um i thought that this thing was scheduled and it just went live on its own and after reading what you guys said about bird i thought the joke was because i was looking out the window because Allie was there and i was like and you said in the thing what is it a technical difficulty or a bird and i said bird but it wasn't a bird it was me not pressing the button that said go live in the upper right hand corner <laughs> good god well okay we're gonna keep going we've been talking about i don't know what is wrong i'm not gonna use this as a spiraling thing i was talking about how my depression's like settling all back in this week it's all good so the first half of this i'll post i'm gonna post this in last week's like right after this and if you'd like to catch up on the first half of our conversation please go ahead and do that i'm so sorry (laughs) don't worry about it i can give a quick we we were just talking somebody asked about like uh how to understand some of the new research results coming out about using magic mushrooms, other kind of hallucinogens, microdosing, and they also asked about EMDR, effectiveness of EMDR, something like that, right? Yes, yes. And so, yes, so we're finishing up talking about some psychedelic stuff, which we will, um, you can totally go back and see some of the first half of that. Uh, you, what were you saying? You're saying like, don't, don't experiment yeah. with the... Yeah, I'll, I'll just like, yeah, kind of brief recap is there is very promising but small in scale emerging evidence to support the effectiveness of both psilocybin, the magic mushroom ingredient, and MDMA 
for treating end-of-life depression, chronic PTSD, and some addiction issues. Okay, so the, the results have been very promising. However, the total end, like the total amount of people that have been studied, is still very, very, very small. Okay, so it's promising and exciting, but it's not conclusive by any means. We still don't know, like, who it's most effective for. And the other thing is these substances, when they're studied in clinical trials, are lab tested and delivered under a, an umbrella of many layers of um, protection and supervision for the subjects. So I do not think it's a good idea for people to go out to their plug and just start testing, you know, to see how hmm. psychedelics and other, uh, or, or MDMA certainly affect their mental health, especially if they're really not doing well. That would be a very, very bad idea. We have way more evidence to show that people using psychedelics or MDMA or whatever the fuck they think it is when they buy it from their plug end up in the psych emergency room uh, because bad things happen. So I don't suggest that people do that. Okay. Okay. Um, But, you know, if you're already in care, it's maybe worth talking to your psychiatrist about. None of this stuff is available, you know, to for for treatment now, but it's possible you can get in some clinical trials if you really have treatment resistant um, uh, uh, symptoms. Okay. However, we have much better evidence to support other treatments. So I would first like this is what I always tell start with the treatments that have the most evidence and work your way down. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of sexy and exciting to think, Oh, like uh, cure my depression. And like, right. fuck, I like taking mushrooms too. But if you have these problems, it's not a good idea to take drugs. Mm-hmm. Under the rest. It's just not. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll see in a few years, maybe you'll be able to get prescribed this stuff. If, Cause it's if, definitely when you read the books and stuff and you're like, some people it's like an intervention level event and it just cures their fucking depression. I'm like, Oh, give it all to me. Let's just jam that in here and see what happens. I'm very skeptical of that claim. And I've never seen that claim proven, uh, past a year time horizon because I just don't believe that that's, I don't think strokes of insight cure decades long behavioral patterns. I just never seen that happen. And I'm very skeptical. Like you might feel better for a little while, you know, Um, But I just don't think that people are going to totally because mental health problems are expressed behaviorally in patterns of behavior. And if you don't change the underlying patterns of behavior, I just don't see how you're going to have a different mental experience. No one's ever explained a causal mechanism for that process. I've never seen it personally. And I've never read any research that supports that claim again past a year follow up. Yeah. So I could be, I would love to be wrong about this and I'll be the first in line if I am, but I just haven't seen that evidence. Um, so I would be very, anytime someone's selling you a miracle cure, be skeptical. Like right. that's, yeah. so that's one thing. It's very encouraging, but it's new evidence. Okay. So, uh, I don't think people who are especially in acute distress should be experimenting with unregulated psychedelic compounds, right? If you're doing good and you like it and you've tried it before, you know, rent yourself a house in Joshua Tree and get busy. But yeah, um, you know, work your way down from the highest quality evidence in terms of treatment options. Is my yeah. What, what would that be? Do you think it would be uh, antidepressant for depression? It would be antidepressant medication and cognitive therapy. That's those two things together have the best support in the research literature. Yeah. For addiction issues, the research is not great, but actually, a big meta-analysis just came out and showed that the uh, AA 
style groups have better outcomes than a lot of other treatments. So harm reduction and AA are, are 12-step style uh, interventions seem to have the, the best evidence, but yeah, yeah, it's not, not as good. Uh, End-of-life depression, I mean, if you have like inoperable cancer or something, fuck it, take the mushrooms. I mean, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. EMDR. EMDR is something that I always hear about that. Uh, I don't, I guess I don't really know the details of. I've done very right. limited uh, EMDR exercises. I had a therapist who did yeah. some like tapping and, you know, bilateral stimulation stuff with me yeah. that I, I felt yeah. really, I really liked. Uh, yeah. But tell yeah. me, I don't really understand it. Well, he, because nobody really does. But he, here's the thing if you're doing something that makes you feel better, keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. If you're doing something that makes you feel better and it's working for you and it's not harming you, then you should do that. Okay. But EMDR, uh, basically the assumption is that there are two things that are put together. One is like, a uh, coming up with a narrative of the trauma experience that helps contextualize it, which is essentially what all of the exposure protocols do like prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy, trauma focused CBT. They all involve this element of revisiting the trauma narrative, retelling it so that it gets encoded uh, and time and date stamped in the brain and the body learns not to respond to that trauma narrative as if it's happening right now. Mm. Okay. That's kind of the underlying thesis of exposure protocol. Habituation to distress, right? Like watching a horror movie a hundred times, it's not gonna be scary anymore. Right. But then EMDR introduces this thing that you reference called bilateral stimulation, which is while you are doing that trauma narrative, you're either following like a a dot or getting uh, pings in your ear and paying attention to that. And there's some like theory that part the part of your brain that's paying attention to that somehow allows you to like distance a little bit from re-encoding the narrative. There's no, that causal mechanism has, has never been demonstrated in any study. And when you do EMDR without the bilateral stimulation, you achieve essentially the same effectiveness as you do with the bilateral stimulation. So my personal view is that it's kind of a little bit of a pseudoscience kind of gimmick that people like, yeah. and it makes them, you know, feel like they're doing something kind of magical and that yeah. helps. And fuck it. If that helps do it. I mean, that's interesting because I was literally doing the meditation yesterday. Like I was saying that I learned like this one style of Qigong meditation, this one like exercise when I did Kung Fu like 16 years ago, that's still like my favorite way to meditate when I meditate. And I think a lot of it has to do with the visualization of uh, this, this repetitive movement of my hands and the focusing of like gathering energy, using it to flush my meridians, storing it yeah. in my Dantian and then repeating gives me something to do that I, that feels so functional and to like create a point of focus for myself. It's much easier for me than just focusing on my breath or just becoming sure. still. So I feel like there's, there is something similar, like, cause I feel the same way about the, the tapping that I learned for the, you know, the bilateral stimulation thing of like, it just feels good. It feels good. It feels like, Oh, I have an actual, t I have a thing I'm doing, you know? Yeah, totally. Right. I mean, you know, the other thing is it can be done both with tapping and with listening and those use completely different parts of the brain. So why would they have the same causal effect on a trauma memory? Yeah, interesting. So, but you know, that being said, if you like it, fucking do it. There's no harm in doing it. Right. You know? um, yeah. 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 I, um, you know, the, again, my, the, the, the treatment that I'm trained in is prolonged exposure. So, uh, and I've just had a lot of success with that, but it's really, it can be pretty unpleasant to do. 
So if you want to, you know, start with the MDR, start with the MDR. You know, go for it. They use it in the VA, so you know, fuck it. All right. Uh, here's this other question that I throw in here. Um, switching gears so rapidly. I don't know. I was in therapy for seven years for general anxiety and obsessive thought patterns, and it was so helpful. My counselor decided it was time to end our sessions though, after such a long time together, because counseling becomes less effective after long periods. And I don't really know what to do now. I haven't been medicated since I was a preteen and it was kind of an awful experience. I love being in therapy and found it super helpful, but if it becomes less effective after a few years or so, Will I just have to keep finding new therapists? Yeah. So, okay, here, here's the, the, the issue. Um, so generalized anxiety disorder is a, is a disorder. Obsessive thought patterns is not a disorder. So is that obsessive compulsive disorder or is it kind of uh, um, automatic, persistent, intrusive thoughts that could be associated with anxiety? These are different things. The other thing is, you know, a lot of times people want to stay in therapy because it feels good. It's like being in a warm bath or being held by somebody. Right. Mm. Um, and of course, who wouldn't want to do that? I think we have to kind of interrogate a little bit more though, because if the therapy was effective, why do we need to keep on going? Right. You know, general anxiety disorder, even obsessive compulsive disorder, these are DSM illnesses that have treatment protocols designed to reduce their symptoms. And I think if you're a therapist and you're treating somebody with one of these disorders, you have a responsibility to evaluate the effectiveness of your treatment. Mm. So after a certain amount of time, like if I'm seeing someone for one of those disorders for a year and their symptoms are not getting better, we need to do something different. They need to see somebody else. We need to try a different therapeutic approach because those symptoms should be resolving. Mm. Right? Shouldn't be they come they see me for their whole life to like keep a lid on their symptoms. That that's not responsible therapy. So mm. you got to ask yourself what is the goal? What, what is it that you want to get out of this treatment? If it's for your symptoms to resolve, there should be an end date for that. Mm. If you just kind of like seeing your therapist, well, there are other therapists that will do that. You know, especially if you're paying out of pocket, there are therapists who will just let you come to their office for twenty years once a week and you kind of vent to them and it feels good. And then you go home. And so, you know, sure. You could go see one of those therapists. It's not so much that therapy is not effective after a certain amount of time. There's no like time drop off. It's that if your symptoms haven't resolved for a particular disorder after seven years, there's something that's not working in that relationship. Um, It's more like that. Does that, answer the question? I think so. Yeah. I mean, how is that different though from like, if it is just a comforting thing, like how is that different than just like the pill I have to take every day? Yeah, it's not really. I mean, they're kind of expensive, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. When I worked in for the County in LA County, you cannot come see somebody for that long because we need to free up our schedule for people who are in acute need, you know? So if I see you for a year, and your symptoms are not getting better. I gotta refer you to a different therapist because yeah. it's not working. You know, I understand. Something's yeah, not working. Or after like a year, your or however long your symptoms do get better, and we discharge you. You know, we discharge you. Yeah. You've improved. Your symptoms have resolved. You have the tools to manage these intrusive thoughts, and like go try it out in the world. If you need to come back, we'll do some boosters, and and I gotta see the next person. Now yeah. in Beverly Hills, in the private practice I worked at, there are people coming for yeah years, many years. People just they're paying out of pocket. They like it. It feels good. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's I guess that like is part of the like requirement to like investigate like why you're there. I was talking to my brother yeah. about this a little bit the other day, and like we were that's talking right. about our dad. Uh, and that his like history of always being like, I can't do therapy because he always thinks he's smarter than his therapist, you know? (laughs) And I I was like, he very well might be. And I was like, that's just his, like, whenever I've gone to therapy, I, to me, it's like, this is a weird analogy maybe for some people, but like, I don't think anybody who's earnestly religious and likes to talk with a priest or something like that, maybe some of them think, I don't know. I think most people on some level, uh, you don't go to the priest because you think that that person is God or that they're like, you know, you, you go because you need someone you're committing to this representation. Like you need like almost like Wilson, the volleyball, like you need to externalize a, a thing so that you have somebody say like, I need time to speak with God. So please represent that for me. You know, like I've met gurus in the past that people are like these amazing gurus and then you meet them and you hang out with them. And you're like, Oh, you're just a guy. And they will say that too. They're like, yeah, but it's like, we need someone to be the vessel, you know? And so I think yeah. with therapists, it's like when I was going to therapy, it didn't work while I was trying to work my therapist for whatever reason, because I wanted them yeah. to like me or I was too young to know what I was doing or I was, right. I was attracted to my therapist or like whatever the thing was that I was like not there to do therapy. I was there to be smarter than them. And that was my thing, you know, whereas right. when you realize like it doesn't fucking matter if they're smart, it's like you, it's like, uh, are you showing up because you earnestly want to get better? Are you there to do the exercises, to do the, to spend the time to try? And if you, and if you're stuck in this mode of thinking I'm smarter than my fucking therapist, this never works. That just means you don't want to get better. That just means like you're not humbled to the process. Well, yeah, that's just not what therapy is about. I mean, I think, yes, we want the end goal to be you to feel better, but really before feeling better, what you need to do is diagnose what's responsible for the problem and change those things. Hmm. Whether they are patterns of thinking, habits, ways of framing your experience, whatever, that comes before feeling better. So what is the diagnosis? Yeah, the DSM diagnosis, but more importantly, in your specific context, what's responsible for causing the problems, then you need to commit to changing those thoughts and behaviors. And then we will expect to see you feeling better. I mean, that's how the process works. So going to feel better is kind of like putting the cart before the horse. What are you going to change? What are you going to learn how to do differently? And what tools do you need to support you to do that? So that that's, you know, for this person asking the question, that's what I would ask them. Mm. What do you need? to work on now? What changes do you need to make now to your behaviors and your thoughts? And if the answer is like, well, I don't really want to do that. I just want to feel better. Like, that's fine. But just be upfront about that with your therapist. Like I'm here to vent and feel better. Okay. And to, some therapists, they want to do that. I would say, let me refer you. Okay. So in the chat. Okay. First, well, the, I wasn't going to say who asked it because I try to keep it anonymous, but someone the the person who asked it said, I did get better. I just still have the issues. And which is interesting. And so, then yeah, what, does that, what does that mean? Exactly. Well, I, I think it means, well, it, it and correct us. And, you know, Emily, if you want to like weigh in on this more, I think this is interesting. Cause I think yeah, is, yeah. is like, um, I'm reading that as to mean like 
basically the therapeutic process was comforting, like what you were saying. I'm a, yeah. She goes, I mean, I'm a lot better, not like totally healed. And I, f- and so what is that? That suggests to me either, uh, yeah, like who, when are we ever totally healed? And that's good that that worked for you. Did you feel like the therapist saying, I think we're done with our time together. Like you can't do this forever. Is that, did they feel like they'd like, do you feel like you need to go meet someone else who will do more work? Like it's not as bad as it was, but I'm still really anxious is what they just said. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, it's probably worth, you know, uh, making an appointment with a therapist, but here's what I would encourage um, this person to do is to think in like more or less quantifiable uh, behavioral mm. way. What is the goal? For example, is the goal to have no more intrusive, anxious thoughts or is the goal to be, like to have zero anxious thoughts in a week or something? Because, you know, that, that would be one goal is the goal to be able to like, go get to work on time, maintain, you know, more or less healthy relationships, not cancel plans because they make you feel anxious, kind of things like that. I would first think for yourself, because this is what a good therapist would ask you to do. What are your goals for coming back to therapy? Right. And the reason it's important to have those behaviorally defined goals rather than uh, emotionally defined goals mm. is because that lets you know when you're making progress. Um, that's yeah emily just responded i don't emily let us know if that makes sense because she goes i tried a few other therapists but i just don't know what i should be looking for treatment wise but i think what you just said that to me has been always the most because i i don't know just on a personal level i never liked sort of similar what we were talking about earlier which y'all will hear if you listen to the first half of this when i post it it's just my own insecurities that still come in around taking medication around feeling like I'll never be better, blah, 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 blah. Feeling like basically I'm a quote unquote weak bitch. That's the, the voice in my head. And, uh, and like the thing that's helped me the most is cause I don't like the idea of just an indefinite. I'm here to just not know what I'm doing has been. That is like, if I go to a therapist, especially cause it's expensive and the passage is really, it's like expensive. A lot of time, it's like, I want a tool. I want a thing to happen. And what yeah. you just said, uh, has always been the thing that strikes me as most helpful about understanding DSM, understanding the terms mental illness and what we describe and in, in the world. And when people use it for political reasons, like we need to fix mental illness or whatever, is understanding that the thing most people don't understand is that it is a set of traits that you can like, you can objectively look at behaviors and say, this is what we're trying to do. I want to be able to leave the house or I want to be able to, uh, you know, whatever. And if that they are what you just said, behaviorally defined changes, not um, emotionally defined changes. And even when I started medication, it was a great um, surprise and, and to me that after my first several weeks of the trial and I was checking in with my psychiatrist at my first antidepressant, that I didn't like feel like sunshine and rainbows every day. I didn't, I didn't feel that fucking different, but my therapist uh, or psychiatrist said, you know, uh, have you had any of those can't get out of bed days? Have you, have you had how, how many of those have happened since our last, you know, and I sat and I thought about it and I was like, oh yeah, that hasn't happened. Like I, I had, I realized like, just cause I wasn't feel like it wasn't going to be just like, oh, you fucking, you're not high all the time. It's like, 
you just are suddenly, I don't know, it helped me function. It was a behaviorally definable thing. And that was like, wow, that's true. Okay. And it kind of flipped a switch for me that I would have to define my, I wouldn't, not just that I would have to, but that it always had been all along something that I could only define by behavior and behavioral changes rather than just feelings. Right. I mean, here's the thing, like if you are going for treatment for a DSM disorder, all DSM disorders include a functional component. You can have all those symptoms. If they don't interfere with your functioning, you cannot make the diagnosis. Right. So not that we should be DSM slaves. Like that's just one kind of right. frame. You know? But I, I would ask yourself, what functional outcome do you want to achieve? What is the functional outcome you want to achieve? For example, in the case you just gave, Jared, it's like, I want to be able to go through a week without having a day where I just can't get out of bed because I'm so fucking sad. Yeah. That's a functional outcome. Right. We can work towards that. Right. But if it's like, I want to feel healed, I don't know what that looks like. And I'm worried that we are, as a result of not knowing what that looks like, not going to be able to achieve it. Yeah, I, that that makes so much sense to me. and And that to me is part of like, I don't know. Again, you are, I'm not trained, but my experiences myself. And I think the problem and the challenge with like a lot of mental health stuff is like getting trapped in this forever hole of wellness, woo woo nonsense of wanting to like feel something that you can't explain versus like, uh, I was talking to my brother about this a little day. I think it's not about ignore your feelings and it's not about like saying like if you are functional, but still miserable all the day, all day, that's, that's not what it is either. It's like, my brother's been going through this thing. I feel like I can just say where he was like, just saying like, I'm starting to solve some of my external problems and realizing like, I don't know what I want for myself and my life. And, and Ali's like, well, think about what gives you butterflies. And I was like, yeah, dude, you don't, you need a, you need your own mission. You need to know like, what is, what is the thing you're trying to do in the world? Because I feel like I may be far away from the things that I want to do in the world, but I know at my core, like what I really want to do, like what I really, and it may be challenging for me to get there, but if I can define like, I don't know, some of my behaviors were like, I wanted to stop being shitty to people that I loved. I wanted to stop like, which again, how would I define that? Stop having like a, a weekly fight with the person I love the most. That's like miserable and, and, you know, traumatic for everybody involved. Like I, like I wanted to stop feeling like every disagreement I had with anybody was like, they fucking hate me. This is all over forever. You know, like change my reality a little bit. And then of course, be more functional, achieve things, show up on things that I said I wanted for myself and other people, these kinds of things, some consistency. Like, so I, now that I can see that I was able to change some of those behaviors, I don't know, it starts a ball rolling of a belief of behavior change. So I, I feel like, um, that's that's one thing. A couple of people are saying in the chat real quick was, how do you know when you need a psychiatrist? I feel like that's a broad question, but I mean when talking through things just isn't enough. And then uh, uh, Emily, who was asked this question initially, said, yeah, that. I am curious to hear what you say. I'm just going to hop in and say like my experience with it. I avoided seeing a psychiatrist for so fucking long because of, again, the voice that's still in my head that like, I'm just like my dad. I'm just like an addict and I'm going to, if I take pills, they're going to be misprescribed and overprescribed and I'm going to supplement the Adderall I do get with cocaine and I'm going to supplement the Xanax that I get when I run out of it with uh, opiates. And, you know, like I was just like, I'm going to be a fucking maniac and I'm going to zone out and never humble myself and never fix 
fix anything. I don't want to be that. I don't want to turn into a zombie other version of myself. So I avoided seeing a psychiatrist for so fucking long. And I tried therapy and I tried all these like personal practice. I tried so many fucking, I did like horse therapy. I did constellation therapy. I did like, you know, regular talk therapy, that little bit. I tried so many things to try to be a better person. I tried drinking. I tried not drinking. I tried Al-Anon. I tried AA. I tried like so many fucking things. Al-Anon, not AA. That's a, that's a lie. I didn't do AA. I did Al-Anon 12, 12 step. But I tried so many fucking things and Nothing was allowing me. I would know these tools. I worked out like a fucking maniac. I did. I knew the tools and I just couldn't do them. And I had a therapist a long time before that who had said to me, have you considered seeing a psychiatrist? You know, like, have you, have you, uh, I think maybe you might be a candidate to maybe talk about some of the things you go through. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So after years of that, I was like, okay. I'm going to try a psychiatrist and at the intake, they give you the little questionnaire and I'm filling out the questionnaire and it's just like me, 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 me. And they're like, we're going to do a trial of some medication. And I feel like a fucking, just like I did when I went to therapy for the first time, like a fucking dog at the vet. I just feel like shaky and scared. And, and I like had to, and the tools were like, I could use the tools now. That's all it is. It's not a solve your problems. It's a bridge, a gap for behavioral stuff. And so maybe you are a candidate to try if you haven't, if I would say if you're having that anxiety stuff and the therapy helped, but it didn't get you all the way there, maybe you're a candidate. Maybe you're a candidate. Anyway, that's my experience. Please. Yes. The best evidence suggests for anxiety and depression suggests that the optimal outcome is to do both medication and, uh, evidence-based psychotherapy together. Those are the best outcomes. So, uh, yeah, I would just make an appointment. I mean, find somebody good and a good, uh, like get a referral from most therapists should have psychiatrists they work with and can refer you to. That is how I got my, I, I did that. Yes. My old therapist who had initially recommended it. I hadn't talked to her in a while because I also stopped my therapy. I called her and she was like, here's some names. Here's someone who's helped people. And that's how I found her. Right. So I like I would I had like three psychiatrists that I worked pretty regularly with. And what I look for in a psychiatrist is somebody who wants to give the least amount of intervention possible to start. Yeah. They start like they would want to take decrease medications or start with a very low dose of a yeah. medication, trial it. So that's the kind of the type of person you want to be looking for. But but yeah, try it. I mean, you should, you should try it, get a good referral. Um, that was my experience with my therapist which, or my psychiatrist. I keep just calling him therapist, but like that, uh, very low dose, very, very low doses. And I was like, that's, I was upfront. I was like, I just don't want to be snowed by medicine. Yeah. yeah. But, but here's the thing you got to remember you are okay. Couple like myth debunks. Okay. One psychiatric medications don't treat chemical imbalances. There's no such thing as a chemical imbalance. There Mm. is no such thing as a chemical balance. Nobody can do a blood draw or an assay and say, well, you have a perfect balance of serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine in your brain. This is balanced and this is imbalanced. That's not real. Okay. That's a analogy that people erroneously use, but it's not correct. Instead, you're just adding a compound to see if it has a desired effect. Got and there's some compounds that have been shown in large groups of people to help them achieve a desired effect. That's what it does. So you're not going to find the perfect medication or dose that's going to fix you. That's not the right way to look at it. You might get a compound added that helps you achieve a desired effect. 
and that would be great. And you may need to try a few different compounds and a yeah. few different doses to get an effect that you more or less like. It, I, I, I understand. It's not going to be correcting a chemical imbalance. That, yeah. That's not it. I will say uh, just a personal thing I did and that Ali did and uh, is, I, I don't know. And I, I, again, this is all such emerging science and stuff like that, that I understand that this might just be total pseudoscience, whatever. But there is like a company, um, GeneSight, I think it's called, and they do a genetic, it's like a 23andMe, but they take your info of your genome or whatever and they put it up against like studies that have suggested um interactions with different uh psychiatric medications and they say like and and they can't it doesn't say like we recommended this or not this they just say if they have shown just like when you do a regular one and it says like because it's all maybes it's all like maybes that like you might have an interaction a low chance or you might have a more intense reaction a higher chance but it's all mites right it's like saying like you might have blue eyes you might have brown hair when they do the 23andme and i did that and Allie did it first a while ago and used it to change and ended up changing her medication based off it because it said that something she was taking, she maybe had a serious interaction with and she did change it. And it fundamentally, it was right. And it helped her a lot. And then I did the same thing. And it, it seems to have also helped me. They have like some, it's expensive if you have money and if you don't have money, um, there's some like a uh, very cheap for like, it has like a, a financial aid component and I I will just say that that uh, helped help me a little bit in selecting and what I was going to try. Um, my di- I did have to do it through my psychiatrist. Like you have to have a doctor to do it. Uh, you can't just like go sign up for it. But anyway, uh, do you have any thoughts about that gene site stuff? Uh, I'm not aware of that specific site. I'll look into it. Um, I'm always skeptical. Yeah. I, I know that we have a large enough database of genotypes to be able to right. cross analyze with specific psychiatric medications. I just don't know what that database would look like or where it would come from. Right, right. But it's I just may not understand it because I haven't right. looked in like everything else, I would be skeptical, but I would For sure. talk the place to start is with a good psychiatrist. For sure. Um, which on that note, uh, Emily asked, like, can you make these kind of appointments right now during COVID? And this is an interesting question because the first half of this was saying that like, you know, uh, I had a refill on my antidepressant left. So I still, I got that refilled, but at least in California, I don't know if other states, you can't, I couldn't, I'm not allowed to have refills on my Adderall, I guess, because it's, you know, it's a stimulant and uh, probably like schedule one or some shit, but like, uh, who knows, but it's like, or not schedule one, that'd be two, right? I don't know. I mean, who fucking knows DEA, who knows? Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I am uh, basically out of Adderall and, uh, that's very interesting experience for me that I'm not excited at seeing the, you know continued rollout of it. And it's given me a lot of weird thoughts, but, um, my understanding is in texting my psychiatrist that there is some protocol in place now that they can, that she can do something over video because we can't meet. And that's why I'm out, you know? Um, and, uh, so we're supposed to try that at some point this week. I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So I I assume, do you know about that? Can she, can somebody make a video? I mean, the answer is it totally depends on the system, public or private, on the individual practitioner. It depends. But psychiatrists can do telehealth and prescribe 
uh, oh. medications as a result of a telehealth appointment. So okay. depending on the practitioner, it's, you know, mental health care is one of those things that telehealth is really set up well to do. Um, so yeah, you just have to find someone who's willing to do a telehealth appointment, but I think everybody's doing them now, you know, so yeah. lots of therapists are doing telehealth, lots of psychiatrists are doing telehealth. So I'm sure it's going to be slower and more difficult like everything else is right now. Right. But the short answer is yes, you should be able to set up a telehealth consult with a psychiatrist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, oh guys, you know, I think that's, that's good. Like we're at 1104. Um, I'm so sorry that I keep futzing off with the fucking tech stuff. Um, but I'm going to go right after this. I'm going to quickly assemble last week's episode and this one, I'll we're pop them up. We're just two dudes talking, man. We're not, we don't we're have Jamie in dudes. the back doing production. I know so, I'm yeah. the producer of this and everything. I mean, so many other things. Uh, so thanks for being here. Thanks for y'all who hung out before I was fucking before we were even live. I can't believe I'm such a dipshit about that. I appreciate you. Um, we're going to do quarantine calisthenics at noon today. Uh, as usual, I think I'm going to talk there about like how am I adjust the schedule? I still like showing up every day for something, but we're going to have to change the schedule just for like the fatigue on the body. I think, uh, at building a rest day and stuff like that. Emily, thank you for being so open about that. Uh, the question and stuff. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice. It's really generous of you too to like be open about it and let us have that conversation with you just live like that um and if anybody else wants to do stuff like that you're always uh, allowed um okay i think that's it for today thanks nick thanks for being here again man um we'll see you guys next week uh you can go to mygoodbadbrain.com if you want gear uh there's also quarantine gear so if you're on the quarantine calisthenics crew thanks to rogue avocado we, she made a really fun little logo i've ordered a bunch of gear i'm gonna um, somebody requested a hoodie so i'm gonna go make a hoodie in this door oh, i'm gonna have to get get some swag man it's fucking good it's pretty fun it's like this funny like um <laughs> it's cool it's like a covid virus <laughs> it just says quarantine on it and it's sweating silly um all right guys thanks a lot uh like i said i'll post these up and uh we'll see you all next next week all right be well self-care hydrate love you bye and this one over here too Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 